Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is Monday, November the 21st, 2016. This is episode 1902 of the Survival Podcast. As we kick off a short week this week, I will be um, doing two new shows for you guys this week, Monday and Tuesday. Wednesday, I'll be doing a rewind of Chef Keith Snow telling you how to make the perfect turkey. Because I think some of you that haven't heard that before, it'll really help you out with your cooking on Thursday. I'll give you a shortcut to that. If your turkey is frozen right now, take it out of the freezer. It doesn't belong in there. You really, seriously, put it in the refrigerator now, today. If you're listening to this on Tuesday, you should have done it yesterday. Get it out. Get it out. Get it out. Anyway. Um, best course of action, of course, is to buy a turkey that's not frozen in the first place, but just want to throw that out there. Anyway, we'll be doing the, uh, how to, how to make your Thanksgiving fantastic rewind show for you on, uh, Wednesday. That gives you a day before the big day. And I'll be playing the original, very first one Keith did of that with me, uh, going way, way back. And then on Thursday of, or uh, Thursday, of course, for Thanksgiving, we'll put out the, the Thanksgiving special show that we do every year, a survivalist view of Thanksgiving. I've been told that many people listen to that with their families on Thanksgiving and, and around Christmas listen to the Christmas special as well. So, uh, we put those out every year. That's become a tradition just to give you a heads up on what we'll be doing this week. However, what do we got today? I got a good one for you. I got a good lineup today. I got a lesson in the long copy ripoff sales formula. Yeah, in a way I've never seen it before. Guy asked me, what do I think about this air rifle that's, um, what? It's from Lewis and Clark from the expedition, but it's about 800 times better. Yeah, we'll talk about that and break down that formula so you can recognize it because it is a very commonly used formula to rip people off. Um, we'll talk about dealing with an overly aggressive dog while he's still a pup, but he's a 40-pound pup. And I have some advice on that for the person asking questions. Pesticides, herbicides, and organic farming practices. And does organic actually use more or less or what? And conventional farmers think so. And I'll try to square that away. Leo weighs in on being an anarchist. Uh, Leo, uh, that's a law enforcement officer for those who don't know the term, an anarchist cop, yeah, and walking away eventually from his profession and deciding to do so. School stupidity. We have some new school stupidity. We have a child suspended for cutting a peach with a plastic knife. No, I'm not kidding. It's not the onion. It's real. Six days of suspension for a zero-tolerance weapons policy. Oh, my, yes. We'll talk about that a little bit. A call for help with a TSP-inspired business initiative. I'll give you the lowdown on that. If you are a person with any of these skills, you can send me an email. I'll pass it on to Dustin, who's taking the project, and uh, maybe they can use your skills. We also have a question on Moringa. Is it really a superfood, or is it hype, or is there some kind of blend mix? Is it something else? And a vet discusses his battle with PTSD and offers some encouragement. And then I'll finish the show up with our song of the day and a very special message to think about as you have some downtime going through the holidays on what you really want in your life. Before all that, let's go ahead and take care of our two sponsors of the day. Hey guys, have you checked out the TSP Gear Shop lately? We offer awesome t-shirts promoting the Second Amendment, the 299 Days Project, the Sentinel Project, and more. We also offer things you just won't find anywhere else, like custom Kydex sheaths for the Mora Number 2 knife. Check it out at tspgear.com. 
Hey guys, you know what? I love using herbs over conventional medicine for so many reasons, but there's so much hype in the herbal industry, it's hard to know who to trust. That's why I was so excited over seven years ago when I found Western Botanicals, an honest company with great products and wonderful people who really care about their customers. For all your herbal needs, do what I do and check out westernbotanicals.com. And remember, in addition to uh, being able to sponsor the show as a full-time sponsor, you also can support our show and support our community by shopping the TSP Business Directory. Today's Business Directory supporter is Lilac City Real Estate. They're a veteran-owned and operated firm out of Washington State specializing in survival retreats, permacultural properties, and homesteads. Check out their listing at the TSP Business Directory. Remember, your shortcut to the Business Directory, tspbiz.com. You can have your show, your your uh, your business featured on the show for as little as five bucks every six months uh, in the TSP business directory with on-air mentions, probably once or twice a year, depending on how popular the directory becomes. With that, let's take a look at the year that was the episode. The year is 1902, because the episode is 1902, and I have two from Alex Shrug for you today. I have disasters come in threes, or maybe fours if you count elections, and we have striking for a middle ground, and we have notable births, and in other news. Let's take a look at notable births this year. Charles Lindbergh, he will fly the spirit of St. Louis across the Atlantic solo, and there's more, much more. Felix Wankel, he will invent the Wankel engine and will catch on after Mazda buys it and dies after Mazda drops it. Mortimer J. Adler, he will edit the Encyclopedia Britannica, bringing education with an easy grasp of all, which is why John Dewey will hate his guts. Learning should be hard, right? See, that dichotomy between learning versus schooling that goes way back, guys, I'm just saying. In other news, The Entertainer is a ragtime hit. It will be used as a theme song for The Sting. I'm going to play a little bit of that for you in just a second. Beatrix Potter's Peter Rabbit is a storybook hit, and so are The Stuffed Rabbits. The book will be one of the best sellers of all time. And The Teddy Bear is Born. Two German toy makers will name their new stuffed bear after Teddy Roosevelt. Roosevelt hates the name, but the public goes wild. So that's where the teddy bear came from. I'm going to read for you disasters coming threes, or maybe fours if you count elections. Severe flooding in Guatemala leaves 80,000 homeless. Then they are hit by a 7.5 magnitude earthquake, killing 2,000. At the same time, two volcanoes in the Caribbean rumble to life. The first volcano is located on the island of St. Vincent, which is the location of the largest population of Carib Indians, or at least it was until now. The volcano explodes, killing 1,680. They had no chance. The second volcano is called Mount Petri, also known as Fire Mountain, located on the island of Martinique. The city of St. Pierre is situated on the coast nearby. The volcano erupts, sending a cloud of superheated gas flowing over into St. Pierre and across the small bay to engulf ships at anchor. A telegraph operator reports that all is well, but it's his last transmission. A handful of people survived the disaster, a prisoner being held in a poorly ventilated cell, a girl who rows her boat into a cave, and a baby and her nurse who managed to live while their ship bursts into flames and sinks. An estimated 30,000 people are dead within minutes. One wonders if it could all have been avoided. The answer is yes, a lot of it anyway. My take by Alex Shrugged. Why didn't more people evacuate, and why were those ships still at anchor so close to shore? The reason? Politics. The island governor of Martinique was up for re-election, and he needed to give the voters a reason to stay. The volcano had been making unusual noises for a while, and the sulfur smell had become unbearable. Farm animals were dropping dead. The citizens had every indication that they should evacuate. So as to ease the anxiety of the people, the governor appointed a commission to judge whether the volcano posed an immediate threat. The report, they said, the return said, the safety of St. Pierre is completely assured. 
Oh, yeah. I feel better already. People wanted it to be okay, and what if the volcano had not exploded? What then? It could have been embarrassing, eh? This is why I practice embarrassing myself. I do a few harmless things to make people laugh, like facing the wrong way in an elevator, raising my hand to ask a stupid question, or when my wife asks me if the dress makes her look fat, I tell her, uh, oh wait, scratch that one. What I'm saying is be your own captain. Sometimes you will make the wrong decision or the right decision that turns out to be a reaction to a false alarm. Own it. You're just doing your job as best you can. Someday the people you love will thank you for it. That is, if you all live through it. Alex Shrugs take. My take here is, um, yeah, exactly the same thing. Follow your own instincts. Don't follow the crowd. I'll, I'll give you a couple examples. Um, on 9-11, after the planes hit the first building, people started you know, getting ready to leave the other building that hadn't been hit yet. And we're told, just return to your workstations. Everything's okay. If you hear a giant, loud explosion and look over and see another building on fire, get the hell out, okay? Um, when the Sandy Hook shooting happened, the teachers put the kids in the corner and be, were quiet while a psycho came in and killed them all, okay? If somebody's shooting at you in a building and you can get out, don't sit in a corner and cower. Get out. Run, hide, fight in that order. Same thing with the shooting in Orlando. So many more of those people would have been alive had they taken some action instead of just sitting there texting, I'm going to die. People want to follow the crowd and think compliance is the way. In that case, it was hard to get out, but you got one guy. You got a couple hundred people. Come on. Someone has to take initiative to take the guy out. You're in a building and somebody starts shooting. If you can get out, get out. Don't hide. Just because the government says it'll be safe if you stay here. If your gut tells you get away... Get away. That's your survival instinct. You feel it when you hunt, especially when you bow hunt. There's times I've been bow hunting, and I hear nothing, I see nothing, I smell nothing. This is the predator side, you know. But I know there's a deer here. It just hasn't made itself known yet, but the hair comes up on the hackles of your neck and your arms, and you know he's here. He's here. It'll only be a moment after you have that feeling you'll hear the, the tick of a, a branch or a leaf. Or you'll, you'll, you'll notice the twitch of a, an ear or the glimmer of an eye. You know. It's in you. When it tells you, get away, don't get away hysterically. That can, you know, out of the frying pan into the fryer. But follow your instincts. Follow your instincts. I'll tell you another quick story before we move on to the main part of the show today. My wife told me when she was married to her first husband, there was a day that he wanted to park the truck like at this like far out part of a parking lot. And uh, she said, don't do it. Her gut was just telling her, don't park here. And when they came out, somebody was driving away stealing her truck. Of course, her husband wouldn't listen, right? That's your gut. There's no reason to have known that. But it's not like every time they parked somewhere, she was worried that was going to happen. It was that one time. It was that intuition. It was, And it wasn't some kind of ESP. It was something wasn't right that you couldn't even define, but yet you know it. Trust yourself. Be the captain of your own ship, as Alex Shrugged tells us. With that, let's get into the main topic of today's show. But I'll kind of bring us into an intro with, you know that little thing Alex mentioned there in uh, in other news? The Entertainer, the ragtime hit, was used in the movie The Sting from 1973. Almost every human being on Earth has heard this music, and if you don't know what it is, you're about to hear it, and then I'll come back and we'll take it from there.
Okay, I, I chose to play that music for a reason there for you. Um, the Sting, right? If you remember The Sting, it's the con, right? And uh, our lead story today is all about con artistry in the modern Internet age. And I get this email from a guy, and I'm skeptical right out of the, the gate. It says, hey, Jack, what are your thoughts on the Lewis and Clark style air-powered .22 rifle from gunassociation.org? My dad sent me this link asking me the same question, and while it looks legit and promising to me, I'm no firearms expert. I'd like to know if this piece you would purchase if you were in the market for a new 22, because I am. Thanks for all you do. Happiest of Thanksgivings to you and your family. Sincerely, Corey Shepard. And I responded immediately to this email with an email of my own, even though I was going to cover it today, because I did not want Corey to spend his money on this piece of shit. Uh, it, it's probably not a complete piece of shit, but it is a ripoff. Here... You, you you almost need to go look at this page to truly take in um, how much bullshit is being heaped into one pile of steaming heap of bullshit. But this is, as an internet marketer by trade and having seen a lot of this stuff over the years, this is a formula. And the formula itself is not bad. It's, it's, it's like a gun itself. Do you use it for good or do you use it for evil? If you use it to convey the actual attributes of what you're selling, this formula can work very well. But when you add it to it fear and hype and FUD and bullshit and outright lies, well, then it's being used for evil. That's what this is here. This, 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 this I'll read some of this to you. It says, attention, do you want a gun that will never be taken away and never run out of ammo? We made Lewis and Clark's favorite rifle 1,500 times better, and now you can get it without a permit completely unregistered. Um, because it's a brake barrel pellet gun. There's thousands of these things. You can buy them on Amazon right now. Uh, and there's better options. It says, this new 22 caliber military grade, which means absolutely nothing, air rifle, fires at over 800 feet per second with a single pump. So do most brake barrel 22 piston-driven air rifles. Yes, rust me my air rifle now. I need to make something very clear. This is no toy. It's powerful. It easily takes out birds, rabbits, squirrels, and even a wild boar with a single shot. Okay, let's talk about that. Can you kill a wild boar with an air rifle? You can, especially if you use PBA ammo, which is lighter than lead. It's a ultra-high speed, and when they give you the 800 feet per second, they're in fact giving you the feet per second that it will shoot with that special ammo, not your regular lead pellets. And you better know what you're doing before you go shooting boars with PBA ammo in a rifle. It says, fellow patriots, I love the .22. In fact, I believe there's no weapon more important for survival than a reliable .22 rifle. The .22 has been a standard for hunting small game, target practice, and even personal protection for over 150 years. But the .22 ammo shortage, most .22s have become worthless as a doorstop. Hold on. I'm not happy about the shortage of .22 ammo either, but are you ready to get rid of yours yet? No, because this is bullshit. Lewis and Clark knew how to survive without gunpowder. Did you realize that the gun that blazed the trails with Lewis and Clark used no gunpowder and no bullets? Did you know it was an hour rifle? Well, it was. But this wasn't your average Daisy BB gun. In fact, it looked like this. According to historians, the Garadani rifle was not only Lewis and Clark's go-to weapon of choice, but also the official rifle of the Austrian army from 1780 to 1815. Okay. 
I want to talk, but I'm going to read a little more so I can just cover it all in one. These famous explorers knew when they struck out to explore the frontier, they wouldn't be able to buy gun, uh, buy ammo at Bud's gun shop and pick up gunpowder along the way. They had to constantly deal with wet powder and long load times. When they were in the wild, faced with apex predators and Indian attacks, they did not have time to hesitate. They needed a rifle that would fire every time, so they found a rifle they could use to hunt for food, kill pests and snakes, and even defend themselves that could be heard more than a few feet away. The rifle had huge advantages and more. They didn't need gunpowder and shell casings if the entire ammo stash got wet. So what, the pellets would still fire? This was a revolutionary weapon, but it wasn't without its setbacks. Back then, the Gradoni would only fire at about 500 feet per second, and that firepower shrank with each additional shot. But the biggest drawback was the pumping. Filling the air canister required 1,500 pumps. This was only good for 30 shots at best, and the air canisters had about a 30% failure rate from the factory. So once ammo was plentiful, the air rifle kind of faded away into history, except for the spring-powered, low-power toys we had as kids. Fast forward 200 years, and the Gradoni is back. Okay, ugh. I mean, I'm just covered with freaking internet marketer feces right now. This is just, this is diarrhea of bullshit. Um, first of all, the modern piston air rifle has no corollary to the original rifle that they're talking about here. Back then, they actually had that rifle working in a way that very good, very expensive air rifles work today. It's called a PCP or precharged pneumatic, and that's what that pump was for. And comparing a piston-driven air rifle to a pre-charged pneumatic is stupid, just in of itself. They're totally different things. The uh, the thing that only fired 500 feet per second, the Skiridani, was firing, There's historians differ on this, it was either a 46 or 51 caliber ball. A 500 foot per second 51 caliber ball is a problem if it hits you in the freaking cranium, more so than a 22 caliber pellet. Lewis and Clark didn't use this gun to shoot game and animals and defend themselves. They had one. They had one, and they had a great big cart, and they would show it to Indians as they passed through their territory, and they made them believe that there were hundreds of them in there. It was used as an intimidation factor, and not much more. Okay? And the Gurdali rifle is not back. Again, what they're selling bears no resemblance to it. It looks like any cheap Chinese knockoff, single cock break, Barrel rifle. It's just pathetic. Huh. And listen to this. This is just outright lies. The Gurudoni beats any Remington, Winchester, or Ruger in accuracy every time. Any marksman will tell you that air rifles like the Giordani are much more accurate than standard 22 Remington, and here's why. They're not! Hold on. Ordinary 22s are rim fire weapons. The firing pin strikes and crushes the rim of the cartridge base to ignite the primer. So when the hammer strikes, the rim can drastically change the accuracy of your shot, and you have little or no control over that. That's all bullshit. That's all lies. But thanks to the amazing engineering involved in the manufacturing of this precision rifle, the air is exactly the same every shot. Actually, no, it's not. When you buy any of these guns, including the one I'm going to recommend over this one that will cost you less money, you have to actually shoot these things about 300 to 500 times to get consistency in your shooting because you have to break the spring pistons in in the gun. Look at the, these patterns from a Ruger 22 long rifle and the Giordani on the exact same range where the gun's mounted to a rest. Uh, it, it's just stupid. It's nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. It, 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 these guys can't shoot, I guess, or they're purposely screwing this up. And I, there isn't even a picture of what they said there is. 
There, there's no link there. <clears throat> Next, 22 ammo is expensive. If you can even get it all, but Giordani is the cheapest gun to own on the planet. And with Giordani ammo costing just three hundredths of a cent per round, you can shoot as much as you want. Target practice, hunting, or self-defense training with seven will cost you a fraction of what it would cost with a normal rifle. Well, that's true of any pellet gun. This is a great first rifle for any young outdoorsman. Kids love this rifle, and it can really help turn them into marksmen. But like I said before, this is not a toy. It should only be used by children under adult supervision. Look at these teens in competition, and they show like an Olympic competition air rifle shooter with like a $5,000 rifle shooting, not this black piece of shit. Eight big reasons you're going to love this rifle. It's legal almost everywhere, so you can shoot pop cans in your backyard, even in a subdivision. Well, it depends. It's powerful, so you can hunt small game like birds, rabbits, and squirrels, or get rid of varmints. Same of any other pellet rifle. It's rugged, so you can keep it in the garage or the back of the tool shed. The kids drag it through the mud. Who cares? I do. I don't want my gun struck through the mud. It's accurate, so you usually won't have to shoot twice unless you're cockeyed like me. Smiley face. Seriously, there's a smiley face there. It's fun to shoot, so you and the kids and grandkids will always have something to do. Um, air rifle. It's cheap at only .003 cents per round. Well, which one is it? There is no other weapon that's such a value. Actually, a .177 will cost less per shot, but whatever. You can get it without a background check or registration in almost all 50 states, even California. Because it's a pellet rifle, dumbass! It's built to last. It has a hell of a story behind it. You can share with your friends. It has no story behind it. The story behind it is you made up a bunch of bullshit about a cheap knockoff rifle that you put your name on that you got from probably Alibaba. Yes, Alibaba, the website. I can't read anymore. I can't read anymore. But it goes into bullshit about threatening gun bans. And But I'll read a little bit more here. You see, I've managed to convince the manufacturer to make a small batch of these rifles that I've set aside just for you. No, you didn't. You you bought the gun from the Chinese guy that makes them. And you you said, can you put put my gun association bullshit name on there? <laughs> It says, remember, these normally sell for $399 or more. No, they don't. Show me any version of this rifle selling for $400. Go ahead. But right now, you can pick one up of your very own Giordani's that will be at your side without fail for only $199.95. And I'll even pay shipping. But you absolutely need to act now. There's only a few of these rifles available, and they will not last long. You need to order now. Yes, rush me my air rifle. What are you waiting for? You're covered by my 100% money-back guarantee. I'm so sure that you will love this rifle. I am personally backing up with 100% money-back guarantee, blah, 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 blah. And it keeps going. And not having it is simply irresponsible. They failed in their gun ban. Now they're working on hoarding all the ammo. So it's Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton and Obama are hoarding the ammo. See, this is the formula. You take something, you over-accentuate what it is, and then you use fear of you're going to not get, if you don't get it now, you'll never get one. They'll be gone forever. And you use outright lies. This is textbook. If you want to see this, I have a link to it in the show notes. And right below that link in the show notes, it'll say something like, Bullshit lies attempting to sell cheap pellet gun. You'll see a link to 22 pellet gun I recommend. And so again, they want $199 for this. The one I would recommend, remember how lightweight it is, like seven and a half pounds? Well, it weighs 7.3 pounds. Yeah, so it weighs a little less, actually. And it's uh, not light. That seven pound air rifle is not light for kids to walk around with. It's why I like variable pumps like the cross, uh, the Benjamin uh, 392 and things like that. But this definitely has more power. 
Um, it has a pellet velocity up to 800 feet per second with lead pellets, but up to 950 feet per second with alloy pellets. So it's a more powerful gun. It's very accurate, and it sells for $159 with free shipping on Amazon because, in the end, it's a 22 pellet gun. This one's actually a nitro piston, which is the newer piston models. It is far more reliable long-term and once broken in, far more consistent. I'm eventually going to list it as the item of the day. I have one. I'm looking at it laying on my wall right there. And I will say this. It is not a replacement for a 22 rifle. It's a 22 pellet gun. Now, if you want an air rifle that can do the types of things out to, let's say, 100 to 120 yards that a real rifle can, then what you're looking for is a pre-charged pneumatic. You're going to spend several hundred dollars, plus you're going to have to buy, it looks like a bicycle pump. It's not. A fairly expensive pump, and then you really can you know, shoot any time. You're never going to run out of the ability to pump those pumps up, and they're not as bad as they sound, and they don't take 1,500 pumps to get the, the gun charged. Uh, or you can get an adapter and a, use a dive tank and have a dive tank filled and fill them with that. And then you can get into big bore, though they have 22, 25, 30 caliber, but as you get into your big bore pre-charged pneumatics, 357, uh, 45, 50 caliber, then you can do some pretty amazing things with them because it's about it's about velocity times and mass, right? It, it's not just how fast it goes. It's what, what amount of weight are you taking out there? What, what is its penetration capability? Because all of your air rifles kill with trauma. They kill with, with trauma through penetration uh, more than anything else. Some impact, but mostly penetration, where you fire a firearm, you're at high enough velocity. That bullet doesn't just penetrate. It also expands, and it does a lot of uh, hydrological damage, Right, your your wound channel is much wider than your penetration canal. Right, so if you've ever shot a deer, for instance, and you then you've opened it up and, and gutted it, and you shot it through the lungs, for instance, you have this little hole that goes in and out the other side. Maybe the exit hole is a little bit bigger, but it's you know fifty. If it's a thirty caliber, it's a fifty to sixty caliber exit hole. But yet the lungs are jelly. Well, that's the hydrostatic shock of that expanding bullet and the total damage of that energy. When you're using an air rifle, at least all of them that exist till now, what you're using is penetration, and you're not really getting any hydroshock. You're just not. Anyway, this is a complete pile of crap, and I want you to be aware of this because most stuff marketed to people like yourselves. That means in the preparedness mindset world today, they're using this exact same shit, and they're always going to say, I only have a few of these. I've talked the, manage the manufacturer into doing a small run. I've gotten a few more of them. It's all bullshit. Trust me, if you want to buy a break barrel pellet gun, there's a billion of them out there anytime you want to. It's all bullshit, military grade. My ass. Who's military? You notice I didn't say that? Like, who, like, uh, say what, nails military or some shit? Bullshit. Don't fall for bullshit, guys. Please don't fall for bullshit. Nothing against the guy that sent it to me. Totally against the people that are doing it. Anyways, I move on. The people selling this are the American Gun Association, which I think is a big pile of bullshit. Doesn't really exist. Doesn't really do anything. They're out of Austin, Texas. Maybe I'll drive down there and tell them they're a bunch of rip-off artists someday just for something to do since it's not that far away. Um, they have a membership that's $20 a month. Yeah, $20 a month. You can't see shit until you become a member. So if you see these people, even if you don't see them through their stupid gun bullshit, make sure you don't ever give these people any money. These guys are con artists extraordinaire. 
yeah, extraordinary. You really shouldn't fall for this. I shouldn't have to tell you. But, again, when you start hearing things like, I only have a few of these. I talked to manufacturer into it. Do it before they make me take this page down. It's all bullshit. End of America 3.com springs to mind when the dollar was going to collapse in six months. Six years ago from our favorite sleaze bag, Porter Stansberry. Anyway, don't fall for this shit. Don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. Next up, question for Jack about an aggressive dog from Matton, Ohio. We recently purchased a five-month-old, three-quarter Mastiff, one-quarter Pit puppy. He's awesome with our kids and great with us. However, he's entirely too aggressive towards strangers and other animals. We love the protective side of him, but don't want a dog that we have to lock up if someone comes over. He's already broken one collar, going out after our chickens as well. We can handle him at 40 pounds, but want to change this before he gets much bigger. Thanks for all you do, Matt in Ohio. Matt, yes, he will get much, much bigger. And he will be very, very difficult to control if you don't nip this in the bud. And I can't tell you what to do on a podcast with a dog in this state already. This dog is now four months old. Um, he already has established these patterns. And if it was my dog, could I train that out of him? Yes, I could. Can I, with confidence, tell you what to do here and expect that you'll initiate it and do it and I'll feel safe in that recommendation that something horrible won't happen in the future? No. Uh-uh. Matt, I think what you need to do is you need to find a local professional trainer and you need to get some assistance on this. I am not a, a dog breed racist. There are people, oh, all pit bulls should be uh, banned or whatever. And I have one of the most amazing dogs in the world that's, that's part pit and part pointer. Uh, your Rottweilers are dangerous or whatever. No, I, but breeds are breeds. And let me tell you something about the, the dominant breed that you have here. It isn't pit. It's actually Mastiff. The Mastiff was the only dog specifically bred to protect humans from other humans. That's what they're bred to do. They are a, a guard dog extraordinaire, and their mission in life is to protect their humans from other humans. And they are a big dog, and pits aren't exactly small. So you're looking at a dog that's going to go somewhere between 120 to 150 pounds when it's done growing. That's a lot of animal. You're talking about two breeds that have a lot of aggression in their tendencies. That doesn't mean they can't be trained and can't be good, solid members of the, the family pack, and they can't be very friendly to strangers and what have you. What the dogs need to learn when they're like this is the difference between something that's actually a threat and someone that's just outside being let in. And the problem comes from the dog not respecting you as a pack leader. If the pack leader says, this is okay, and the dog understands the command and respects the pack leader, the dog stands down. You're losing control in this relationship. It's either you lack the confidence to convey to the dog that it's really okay. It's probably mostly an energy thing. You're nervous. The dog reads your nervous energy. The dog builds up nervous energy, and it goes into defensive mode. You're trying to pull the dog back, but you're not confident in the way you're doing it, and you need to get a professional trainer involved now before this minor problem becomes a major problem you can't deal with and you end up having to rehome the dog because you're not capable of dealing with it. And I think there's a a 50% or better chance that that will happen if you don't bring in a professional trainer. So that's what I'm going to recommend, that you find somebody locally that can come out and spend time on site, you make the investment in the animal that you chose to buy, 
and you get that dog to become a well-tempered, well-membered of the family, and you don't have to worry about having the dog stand down too much and not longer being protective. The dog will remain protective in the right instances and circumstances. When it learns what not to be aggressive about, it will understand that things that are that this is normal. So right now, to the dog, normal is you guys with the dog and nobody else. That's that's what's normal, okay? And anything that alters that paradigm goes into the abnormal and therefore is cause for alarm. When he learns to expand the bubble of what is normal, there'll still be what's abnormal. You don't have to worry about that. As to your animals, I'm really going to recommend shock collar training. It is the most rapid, fastest way, but I would say at this point, get a trainer who's open to that and do it all encompassing holistically. You need to be trained how to train your dog. And that's what you need a good trainer to do. And then as that gets better, you need to socialize this animal. This animal needs to go out and see people and be in parks and stuff like that. And you can't do that right now. You've got to get the dog, you know, baby steps, walk, crawl, run, and get, get some help. Because if you don't, you're going to wish you did, I promise you. And don't wait on this. Don't be like, well, we'll do it after the holidays. No. Find somebody and by, you know, go ahead through Thanksgiving, but by next week, you need to be getting somebody involved that can work with you with this animal or you're going to have problems. The longer it goes, the more difficult it will be to correct. The next question is from Anthony in Seattle. He says, uh, a question in permaculture, when would you use fertilizer and pesticides, if at all? Additional, I'm trying to settle a discussion between my brother and I. He advocates for standard farming practices, but will research other practices. He's trying to claim organic practices use more fertilizer and pesticides. And I think he's thinking of industrial organic farming practices. If this has been covered in previous episodes, guide me there, please. Thank you for all you do. Thank you, Anthony from Seattle. Um, hold on. Let's split this in half. So when would we use, like, fertilizers or pesticides, if at all, in a permaculture situation? About the only thing that I would do is if someone came to me and I was consulting, which I don't do, and had a, a problem that could be handled with, like, say, a fungicide, and they were going to lose their farm if we didn't address that as, and then, you know, plan for the next planting or whatever, I would use that. In some plantings, I would use an herbicide, even the evil Roundup, to eradicate something uh, with spot treatment and then build it up. But once it's going, we're not going to use it at all. Um, fertilizer, okay. Fertilizer, there's chemical fertilizer and there's organic fertilizers. You're always going to use fertilizers one form or another, whether it's compost tea, whether it's nutrients and mineral additives and what have you, uh, whether it is when you plant a crop and you harvest only a portion of it and the biomass is tilled back into the soil, that's fertilizer, right? Fertilizer just means putting fertility in the soil. When would we use chemical fertilizers in permaculture? Never. Never. When we would we use per, per, uh, uh, chemical fertilizers in uh, a reasonable situation? We need to eat this year, and our fertility hasn't been built up, and we're going to take certain spots and maybe use a little miracle Grow or something. Oh, God, no, it's so much better than what you eat out of the store. We're not going to get all, all, all in a wad about it. But we're never going to have an organic farm and use conventional fertilizers. We're never going to have an organic farm and use conventional herbicides or pesticides because you can't. It's against the rules. You can't call it organic anymore. 
And we that do natural farming techniques and beyond organic, we're not using that stuff either. Though if we're smart, we're not Puritans to the point we might not use it to correct something that's aggressively wrong, like Nick Ferguson recently talked about with the eradication of Bermuda grass through first mechanical removal and then spot treatment of what comes back until it goes away and then a barrier to keep it out. Okay? Now, your brother, this is a different thing. He says that organic practices use more fertilizer and pesticides. Well, no, they don't. They just don't because then they wouldn't be organic practices. Now, this is a common smear tactic of big agriculture to constantly say this. That's not to say that some organic farming can't be absolutely just as bad for the environment and or people as conventional ag and still technically be organic. It all depends on what you're doing. For instance, I recently told a story, and I'll tell it again because it fits in perfect here. A, a gentleman that I met while I was in Missouri that doesn't want to go public with who he is and where he is, but this basics of what he's doing, and I'm thinking he's got a problem with that, I bought a farm that was so bad that he was told he was stupid for buying it by the lady that did the paperwork for him at the office. It's a small town world. Everybody knows everybody, and everybody knows that farm has failed for years, right? He goes in, and it's overgrown with weeds. He does plow it. He goes into a five-crop strip rotation. He's out yielding everyone around him by the acre. His soil in 10 years has become so fertile that when he sent the soil in to be tested... They said, you're going to get in trouble for plowing native prairies. You, you, this, has been, this has never been plowed before. What are you talking about? I've been plowing it for 10 years. And he's plowing it with subsoil or not a conventional plow. So he'll go in, he'll harvest, let's say, the corn, and then he'll slash the corn to the ground and go through with the subsoil and, and push the stalks into the ground and then come back and seed with a different crop, maybe rye to go into a winter grain crop a small grain crop, and then one strip might be in clover as a grazing crop and, and what have you. And, and he's been doing this for 10 years, and he's just now getting ready to add, add animals to it. And this is the result he has with no fertilizer, with no herbicide, with no fungicide. Surely by building the fertility in the soil. But it's still fertilizer because it's biomass. So when you say organic farming, it's like saying farming. There's so many different things under that umbrella. Now, you want to settle it with your brother? You're not going to. He's not going to listen to you. He's not going to listen to me. And you, this is what I, I realized when I'm, I'm looking at what this guy did. And I was like, this is worth driving up here by itself for this hour on this guy's little farm. Other farmers look at what he's doing and they say it's amazing, and yet they won't do it. They won't do it. He's wasting his time. He's out yielding you, but he's wasting his time, right? He's building fertility every year. His soil's more fertile with less input, and, and yet he's wasting his time with those strips, is what one of them said. When people are entrenched in this viewpoint, the only thing that is going to make them change their mind is their own failure or seeing someone else's success. And, and the truth is, they just want you to go away and not, not talk to them about it. They don't want to be told they're wrong, and they've been told by whoever's selling them their shit for the last 30 years that this is the way it is, and they've convinced themselves they have to do things this way. And if they're in conventional farming, they're probably taking subsidies and, and grants, and they're probably have to do things a certain way to get that money. They're probably being told exactly what to do by government representatives and these manufacturers' representatives. And you're asking them 
to risk their farm by changing their tactic. And the average farmer today is 66 years old. And when you're 60 years old, you don't want to change what you're doing no matter what. You just don't. It takes a lot to get somebody to change. So the answer is some organic farms use more inputs than non-organic farms. But those inputs are never chemical fertilizers and pesticides. And they're always less toxic in of themselves to humans than the non-organic alternatives. But many organic farms use very little inputs. So it's really more about inputs than is it fertilizers or pesticides or whatever. There's very few pesticides, if you want to actually call them pesticides, that can be used in organic farming. There's things like neem oil and things like that, but these are things that are non-toxic to human beings. Or uh, BT, Bacillus lungosus, uh, which you hear BT corn, you think, oh, well, that's the same thing. It's not. It's genetically engineered. The plant's producing it everywhere rather than you know the spot spraying of it. And this is a, a bacteria that is toxic to worms, but you could eat a spoonful of it and it wouldn't harm you. Versus go ahead and eat the stuff they're spraying this shit with. So, and he probably believes in genetic engineered crops too because, well, we use less chemicals because the plant produces its own pesticide. Well, that's great, I'm eating it. But, okay, then you're spraying it with atrazine and Roundup and everything else while it's growing because it's been genetically engineered tonight. I mean, you, you can't really have this discussion with someone until they're ready to have this discussion. You can't because they're, they're not interested in you being right. And you can't have a discussion where there's a difference of opinion when the person's not even interested in you being right. And that's where you're at in this discussion, because I've had it enough times with enough people. Okay, and now for something completely different. It says, hey, Jack, it's Pat the Leo from, Farmer, uh, from Florida again. Loved your response to the call in question about the Texas anarchist Leo. Again, Leo's law enforcement officer, for those that don't know. I thought it was important for both the audience, especially the caller, to know he is not alone. I believe it is a very small segment of law enforcement, but at least we can say for sure now that there are at least two of us. I am currently a Leo in Florida and left active duty, but was recently called from the military reserves to spend a year overseas. I'm not happy about it, but I'm making the most of my downtime overseas by trying to build my own business and saving every penny so that I can leave law enforcement shortly after my return home. I am no longer unsure I've made the final decision to leave. I've been a listener to TSP since the single-digit episodes and can say this community has changed my life. Being able to see behind the curtain of state-sponsored enforcement has been eye-opening for me as a critical thinker and as an anarchist. I love writing and teaching, and I'm building my blog with the amazing help and guidance from your 5 Minutes with Jack podcast. I'm still learning the basics of WordPress, but once my site is a little less embarrassing and more presentable, I plan on sending some of my Leo and other writings your way. No question, just hopefully a comment for the community. Thanks for everything, Pat the Leo. Um, see, this to me is very encouraging, and I, I want to remind people that maybe didn't hear the other show, my basic advice to the last guy that wrote in with this conflict, it was don't not be a police officer because you're an anarchist, right? Even though some people would say you'd have to. That you have a lot of discretion as an officer, but... If what you're doing is, is, is harming your life, if it's crushing your soul, if it's not what you really want to do, if there's not enough good to overcome the bad, then walk away. And those that say, you should, because we need people like you are being selfish. And so this gentleman here has decided to walk away. He's also been called back into service in the military to do another year overseas. Man, just stay safe over there. Keep your powder dry. Watch your six. Take care of your buddies, and hopefully they'll take care of you. Um, 
it, it amazes me how people forget that a lot of times when guys come home from service that just because they think they're done, they're sometimes they're not done. They get called back. And uh, I hope things work out for you, Pat. And uh, I, I just want people to kind of realize that when you start lumping all cops in as bad guys or something like that, or they're the enforcers and stupid shit like that, you're, you're, you're ignoring the human factor in this. And you sound stupid. You do. To anybody except the people that are as purest asshole as you, you sound like an idiot. You're not doing the cause of anarchy or voluntarism or even libertarianism any favors at all when you do that. And you're not, and you gotta understand you're falling into the trap that, that they want you to fall into. And who are they? They are the system. They are the people behind the Black Lives Matter movement. They are the people behind the All Cops Suck movement. And they're also the same people behind the All Cops Are Heroes movement. What they're trying to do is create enough dissonance between the two sides so the conversation cannot take place. You know, I've had frank, honest conversations with family members and friends who are in law enforcement said, if you want to tell me it's a few bad apples and there's not a problem, you're full of shit. And you know you're full of shit. You don't want to be full of shit, but you are. And the truth is we need a real, honest, genuine conversation between people that see the problem and you guys who are the only people who can have a solution. But with all this shit going on, the Black Lives Matter shit, the, all the cops suck stuff, and the cops taking the blue line and saying, oh, no, it's just a few, you're ensuring there can be no conversation. You're ensuring, because what we just said about the farming question, when neither side has any interest in the other side having a point at all, conversation is not possible. And that's where we've gotten to. And if we're going to make the situation better, Notice I didn't even say solve the problem. Make the situation better. We need to have cops feel that they can be honest and say there is a problem in our ranks and we need to address it. And we need the other side to be able to say we appreciate that. We respect that. Not, oh, you just suck. Because then what's their incentive? I mean, if I'm a cop and you're, you're calling all of us killers and murderers and doing the state's bidding and shit like that, and you're referring to anybody that has any decent relationship with us as a bootlicker and stupid shit like that, and I do have a cop friend that's an asshole, frankly, as much as I hate it, he has more in common with me than you do. Because I'm a piece of shit, too, as far as you're concerned. And at least I know that he probably has my back when I need him. And, and until we can get past this, we're not going to make the situation better. And those of you that are doing the job in spite of that, that are doing the job right, that are keeping your oaths, that, that turn the other way when you can for victimless crimes, that, that, that see your job is to defend people by prosecuting the people who actually have victims in their crimes, I thank you for your service. I may not agree with everything you do, There may be times when I say that's too far and you disagree, but I respect you overall, and I hope you respect us, the actual anarchists and the real anarchist community and the real libertarians and the real minarchists and the real voluntarists that realize that the only solution is a human solution. And we can't throw people into camps whether they want to be there or not just because they talk differently or live somewhere differently or wear a different uniform than us. That in the end, as I said, if I'm a cop, and I'm, I'm dealing with you, and you're a child rapist, while I don't like the, the, the state's solutions to that problem in many ways, I will gladly use it because it's what's available to throw you into. And if you're a child rapist, I really don't give a damn what happens to you. I really don't. I mean, my solution, again, was function stacking. Dig a hole, put you in a hole, bury you. 
when you're dead, we got to bury you anyway. So by doing that, I mean, we just save a bullet. You bury someone in a hole, they'll die, and then we can grow shit on top of you, right? So I, I'll make hugel, human mounds, right? Hugels, humels, right? People, people, hugels, whatever, out of child rapists all day long. But that's not available to me, so I'll throw you into the state solution. And if you think a person is evil for that, then you don't know evil. Because human trafficking is evil. Child molestation and rape is evil. Rape is evil. Murder is evil. Assault on someone that did no harm to you is evil. These are things that are evil. And these men and women that do the job in law enforcement, when they go into law enforcement, they don't go into law enforcement to harass somebody because they were doing 10 over the speed limit and had a taillight out. That's the situation that they end up in. They go there, most of them, because they want to deal with the people like I'm talking about. Please try to remember that. Um, next one is, oh my God, talk about stupidity in the state. I, I've gotten this from a bunch of people. I, I'm clicking on the link in the email from Jake in Tennessee right now, though. Here's the headline. This is on Red State. Honor roll student shares fruit with classmate, gets suspended for violating weapons policy. <sighs> An honor roll student at Silver Trail Middle School in Pembroke Pines, Florida, shared part of her lunch with a classmate. The school lunch, the, the school suspended her for six days for violating the county's weapons policy after she cut a peach in half with a child's butter knife. Again, this isn't the onion. This is real. Ronald and Andrea Soto told local 10 news reporter Michael Seaton their 11-year-old daughter was suspended for six days for bringing a knife to school. This is a set of a spoon, fork, and knife for toddlers. One years old, Andrea Soto said. It's made for children to learn how to eat properly. She used it since she was a baby. According to the school district, the, the girl violated the county's weapons policy when she used her butter knife in the cafeteria to cut the peach. The friend asks for half the peach, and she cuts half off the peach and gives it to her friend. She goes to the bathroom and comes back, and the guy said, Follow me, Ronald Soto said. With every zero-tolerance policy comes a 100% chance of people acting like complete idiots and blaming the rules. A Broward County School District spokeswoman declined to offer specifics about the incident because of student privacy. How about because she knows she's stupid and she knows it's indefensible? She said, quote, The school followed the district policy regarding the incident and continues to work with the student parents involved. It is the district's priority to maintain safe and secure campuses for students and staff at all times. The Pembroke Pines Police Department said it has turned over their investigation to the state attorney's office. Seriously, police and a state attorney need to be involved because a good kid used a toddler's eating utensil to cut a piece of fruit? The knife in question is probably less useful as a shiv than any number of school supplies. Cases like this are sadly becoming almost cliche in our paranoid school system. You read the rest of the article if you want to, but it makes one's head want to explode. And what this, these parents need to do is remove their child from that school system. No matter what you have to do, whether it's homeschool, whether you have to get a second job to put your kid in a private school, whatever, they don't deserve your child and the money that comes with your child in that school system. And what we need are parents losing their shit over this whenever it happens. And not when it happens to your kid. So this is the problem. Parents go to the news and get all pissed off when it happens to their kids. If this happens in your school, you need to be breaking out the old PTA booklet with all the names and, and, and numbers, and you need to be calling everybody. And there needs to be like 200 parents at the next school board meeting calling for the principal's head, calling for the, 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 uh, the, the, the school board's head. 
Fix this shit. Fix it now, or you're all out of here. We're not taking this. You need this. You're having. They're having kids commit a general strike because Donald Trump run the, won the presidency. How about this? If this shit, if my kid was still in school and this kind of shit happened at one of my schools, I would organize parents and I'd have a general strike of the school with the parents saying, "Kids are just not coming today." We're going to take responsibility for their education for the next week while you guys suck high and tit and don't get your money from the state because we're sick of this shit and clearly you are not adult enough to be trusted with the education of our children. There needs to be a line in the sand here. This is the state saying your common sense no longer applies. We're going to turn a child over to the police for a toddler's utensil set. It's though a, a, a pen or a pencil is not a more dangerous weapon than a child's butter knife. I mean, this is pathetic. This is pathetic. This is pathetic. And I, I really feel like schools like this, like we should come up with some kind of organization that when a school does this, they're just inundated, from not just from their own district, from all over the country. Do you Just, just phone call after phone call. You guys are making yourselves look like idiots, you know that? It should be on every blog. It should be on every news site. It should be, we should be using shame to humiliate these people into acting like normal people. But let me tell you the problem here. The problem is these people are not permitted to use their common sense. The reason she had no comment and only a prepared statement is she knows she's an idiot. She knows the school is made up of idiots. She knows the policy is idiotic. But she knows if she follows the policy, no matter how stupid it is, she won't get fired. And if she doesn't follow the policy, she might. All I can say is the final death nail on our modern education system cannot come soon enough. And I'll never run out of stupid shit like this to tell you about. I'll bet you. I'll bet you. If I tried, I could find one of these just as stupid a week as long as school's in session. The only time this will go away is in the summer when there's no school. And then, even then, you'll find some stupidity. Trust me. Anyway, there'll be a link in the show notes where you can check this out for yourself. And you can see a video of this highly deadly weapon that this kid used to cut a friggin' peach in half. I mean, somebody just needs their ass beaten all of this. They really do. I, I mean, I just really think, I, I really, I'm not calling for violence here, obviously, because that would be a, a terrible thing. But I just really think, like, this is how things have changed. When I was a kid, if I had gotten suspended for something like this, I can see my father having gone down to the school and pulled somebody out by their nose hairs and saying, what the is wrong with you? I I, I really just, I, I'm fed up. I'm fed up. Folks, if you can, get your kids out of government schools. They are not entitled to the privilege of the education of your child and the money that comes with your child. Remember this, it's all about money. All these attendance policies, all this shit about taking care of the kids, it's all about that kid's a dollar sign in a desk. They don't give a shit as long as they're in that desk and they get their dollars. And that's how the system was set up. It's not their fault. Remember, there's human beings in this system too. But this system is beyond repair when a kid suspended for six days, an honor school student for six days, and turned over to the police for cutting a peach. I mean, the level of idiocy is just unbelievable. Let's talk about something else, really. 
This one's from Dustin. Dustin and I are collaborating on a book, uh, an ebook that will be sold in the future. And here's what he sent me. He said, Jack, I was thinking I wanted to draw from and hire out as much of the TSP community as possible. On a future show, can you make a call out for folks with experience creating? Listen very carefully. If you do not fit these things, you don't. So here it is. Formatting ebooks from Word, PDF, to AZW Mobi EPUB iBook. Again, formatting ebooks from Word PDF to AZW Mobi EPUB and iBook. Graphic design for ebook cover art and website design, a simple five page design integrating eJunkie purchase platform. No guarantees, but wanted to give back to the community for this project. Rather than give Dustin's email out and have him inundated with people he doesn't know. If you want to be put into touch with Dustin for this, send me an email, put TSPC book in the subject line, and tell me who you are and what you do, and don't make a big, long sales letter. I won't read it. I'm talking two or three sentences at the most, and I'll just forward your email to Dustin, and he can take it from there. All right? Uh, so, again, we're looking for people that can format ebooks from Word, PDF, to AZW Mobi, whatever the hell that means, EPUB and iBook, Graphic design for ebook cover art and website design, simple five page design integrating eJunkie purchase platform. Again, you don't have to be able to do all of those, but one of those at least, and then email me TSPC book in the subject line and keeping it into the family is something I am very, very fond of. So uh, let's see if we can find anybody to do that. Uh, next um, one here is from Kent. Kent says, Is, is Moringa? A true superfood or not? A few years back, I was introduced via pyramid vertical marking scheme to moringa tree and associated supplements from a line of products named Zija. My wife and I tried it out but did not see results. We were not willing to pay exorbitant price for long enough to see results. My gut tells me at least the products in the scheme are overhyped, but cultivating the tree and finding more reputable provider without so many gimmicks and proprietary blends worth the effort. I have listened to your show for about a year now, and I've heard nothing of this plant from you or the expert counsel. leads me down two likely paths. It's a gimmick, and you've dismissed it earlier in your shows, or you haven't yet heard about it or haven't yet evaluated it. Thanks for all any help you can give. Feel free to outsource it to expert council member as well. Kent from the Dirty Albuquerque, New Mexico. I don't know what the Dirty Albuquerque, New Mexico is about, but that's what it says. So, Moringa, um, here's the deal. It's a useful plant. It's quite nutritious. The same that could be said about many different plants and, and vegetables and fruits out there. Uh, it's a nitrogen fixer, so it's very useful in climates where it'll grow uh, for farm forestry and for uh, building soils. It In the pods, it has an extremely large amount of vitamin C. It has some vitamin B2 and B6. It has a little bit like... 1% RDA vitamin A, uh, but overall it's fairly nutritious. That's it. Is it a superfood? Depends where you are. If you live in the subtropics or tropics and you're very poor and you live in a place where not a lot of nutritious things grow and this shit grows everywhere like a weed and you can go out and harvest it and you can keep your family healthy because you can put vitamin C and other nutrients and proteins into them that you otherwise could not, well, hell yeah, it's a superfood. Of course it is, right? Because of the condition. If you live in the United States of America, it's just another nutritious plant form. 
It's not a superfood. It doesn't do anything that any other thing out there with the same types of nutrient profile doesn't do. Uh, they say it may have some anti-cancer uh, properties, but anything with, with a, antioxidants would also have that. They say it may help to lower blood sugar. Most highly nutritious vegetables do. They'll say it has, you know, uh, ten times more this than that. But when you actually look at like comparing it to yogurt and, and what have you, the volume you'd have to consume is, is highly misrepresented because you'd be eating like six cups of it to equal like a quarter cup of yogurt or something like that. It's hype. And then in general, multi-level marketing, especially in the nutrition world, we have this, this special proprietary bullshit, blah, 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 is bullshit. Because you're, what you're doing is you're taking a product and you're marking it up enough to pay out through a six or seven layer distribution system. When a standard distribution system is a two-step distribution system, manufacturer to wholesaler to retailer, right, down to your customer, um, where a lot of things being done now are uh, a one-step distribution, manufacturer to retailer to customer. I know it sounds like three, but it's to point of how many steps to point of sale is what we're talking about here. Where these network marketing companies were, were having to build a huge margin into them so everybody can get a little piece going down the line. You know, you get two and they get two and there's, and I know I'm going to hear from some of you that you don't understand. I'm in a network marketing company, blah, blah. I used to do network marketing guys a long time ago with one of the few companies I thought was legit called Cognition Networks that eventually ended up out of business because they made a dumb decision to take the company public. Um, made quite a bit of money in it. I uh, never took any money from anybody in it. It was not a, a thing where you recruit and get paid to recruit at all. Uh, specialized in telecommunications and telecom. I learned a lot from it. I ended up writing the training manual for the entire agent base of over 250,000 agents. Right? So I know network marketing. In of itself, it's not a scam, but the companies tend to be scams. Because... It doesn't make logical sense, and it makes less sense today with the Internet than it ever did. And then this is the story you get. Well, the reason that the big pharmaceutical companies don't want to tell you about nutraceuticals is because you can't patent a nutraceutical. You can't patent a bean or a, you know, an herb or whatever. Okay, great. Yeah, that's, that's, that's nice. And then what they'll say is, well, we have a special proprietary way that we extract it, and we have four pending patents. So the, 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 you're two-faced. They, they say we have the, ours is different than everybody else's. No, it's not. It's moringa. It's what's that other crap? The nani juice. It's all the same shit. This stuff is a lot of this stuff from the tropics is is routinely consumed all the time by people in those areas where it grows natively, but it seems exotic to you because it's from somewhere else. And they package it and they wrap it up with the same type of bullshit story that we've had about the rifle. Don't fall for this stuff. You know, my view is a product that can't compete on the open market from a price and quality standpoint is not a valid product, and, and the only reason it's selling is because of the friends telling friends, and you're going to get rich someday, crap. And, and just stay away from it by and large. I'm not saying there's no decent companies that operate on a multi-level payment plan. There are some. Most insurance agencies actually are sort of kind of like that in, in a way because you get paid on your, your sub-agents and things like that. Um, there are a lot of agencies that work on a two-tier Agency model, we have agents and sub-agents and, and, and what have you. So there is an incentive for you to recruit other agents and things like that. They can be okay. 
Some of them are not the worst things in the world, but they always seem to end up with the raw, raw, you can do it, you're going to be rich, and all you have to do is dream and don't let anybody steal your dream and just just keep on keeping on and, and don't worry about the fact that there's competitive products that cost less and do the same thing. They don't usually phrase it that way, but they come up with some way. Or they call you a dream stealer if you point that out or whatever. Just stay away from this stuff. Every other day, there's a new one of these companies being rolled out with some new special super thing that's going to save your life. There is a lot to be said for nutrition. There's a lot we can do to restore our health with nutrition. Um, but there's a lot of hype. And when you start seeing hype and you can make money put together, there's a reason. And, and just don't fall for it. Again, Moringa, it's a fine plant. It has many uses. It's great. But I can say the same thing about basil. I mean, seriously, not the same exact claims, but basil's a fine plant. It has many uses. It, it can be used for nutrition. It's more than just a culinary herb. It has antimicrobials, antioxidants, uh, antibiotics in it. So does oregano, by the way. So does rosemary. <laughs> I mean, really, you, you, you have to, uh, you know, I mean, come on. There, there's... If, if Moringa was going to make people live for a hundred years or prevent cancer or whatever, no one that lives where this stuff grows like a weed would have cancer or die. Unless they got to, like, I mean, I'm sure it won't protect you from having, like, a, a, a car dropped on your head or something like that, right? Or being eaten by a tiger. But you, you would have zero cancer where Moringa exists. It's, it's bullshit. It's just taking something that's good. Like, I'm sure that air rifle that I led the show off with is a fine $100 air rifle. But you just hype it up to make it look like it's a $400 rare rifle and then charge somebody $200 for it. That's what's going on a lot with this nutraceutical stuff. It really is. And I know I'll piss people off today, but that's just the facts. And I don't apologize for the facts, folks. I wanted to finish up with kind of a moving story by a veteran. This is from Chris. Chris says, Jack, you'll have to forgive me if I'm a little bit long-winded, but this December marks a decade since I was diagnosed with PTSD. And I owe you a massive thank you. When I was in school, I got decent grades, but I couldn't wait to be done with it. So when I was 17, pre-9-11, I enlisted in the Marine Corps. I soon found myself sitting in a desert waiting to invade Iraq. That was when I heard an NBC siren scream in anger for the first time. Soon thereafter, I watched the most amazing fireworks display I'd ever seen, but also realized that the fireworks that filled the sky were Patriot missiles, and for every Patriot lost, there was also an inbound scud. Over the next several weeks, three of my brothers found their peace. Most people would not understand this until you can explain until you can explain that the only peace from war is death. Most of us were not that fortunate. When I got back, the PTSD didn't kick in right away, but when it did, it was brutal. At the time, the war was still young, and no one had yet realized the PTSD was an issue. So resources for such were either non-existent or just not known to those who needed them. Then, of course, my friends and family had no idea what to do when I had a, quote, bad day. So for the next several years, I wandered, wandered this dark road alone. And like so many others, I learned how to self-medicate. My personal preference quickly became whiskey. Hindsight 2020, it is beyond me how I'm not anything more than a statistic today. God, I know I should be. After a couple of years, I finally landed a job doing something productive, uh, as well as picking up an old 1984 Toyota pickup, which I slowly started rebuilding. This helped a good bit at least in making me feel somewhat productive in life. Then I finally landed a job that enabled me to profoundly impact the lives of other people in a positive way. 
It was also around this time that I heard about some crazy farmer in Texas that had a podcast, whatever that meant. So I Googled it, and I couldn't have been more fitting that the first podcast I ever listened to was episode 1422, Turn Off the Friggin' News. The biggest thing that I took away from that episode was Circle of Influence, Circle of Concern. I started to completely reevaluate everything. I quickly established that if I can see more than one circle at any given time, that's a problem. That's when I finally decided to put my hands in the dirt, calling it dirt as being generous. I failed a lot, but with your help, the help of you and the TSP Network on Zello, I started to eat food out of my own yard. Now that it is Veterans Day, I sit down and think on the last couple of years. It's been a long time since I had a bad day. I'm not going to say that I'm back to normal, but for the road I've walked, I'm pretty close. Jack, I owe you a debt that I will never be able to repay. Thank you for helping get my life back. Um, please feel free to put this on the air. I can only hope that it might help someone else if you do put it on the air. To any brothers that might be struggling with similar situation, one resource that I wish I had had would be battle in distress. They're not military. They're not government. They're people just like us. And I'll look them up and put them on the show notes for you guys today. Um, I think it takes a lot of bravery to share something like that. I think when people get to the point where they feel better about where they are, admitting how dark it was is, is difficult and takes courage. So thank you for that, Chris. And I do think it helps other people. And when I get something like this, and I, I get more of them than I'll ever read on the air, um, it, it makes me feel good about what I'm doing. And, and I think one of the things that kind of got glossed over in there is buying this old 84 Toyota pickup and starting to rebuild it. And that I, I think there's so many people out there that are down, and I think a sense of purpose. And, and being able to see the results of what you're doing, I think, are so important to recovery. And... Uh, Guys, if you're out there, if you're a vet, if you're dealing with this, and I've talked to some of you in person that I know the problem's bigger than you're making it out to be, address it. Because inside it's like a cancer. It'll eat you apart, you know? And, and, and understand that you're not responsible for what happened to you, but you're responsible for how you deal with it. And I know that might sound a bit tough, right? Like, you know, lacking compassion to tell somebody, well, you didn't do it to yourself, but you're responsible for dealing with it. But, but it's the truth. I, I don't say it with any sort of animosity. I don't say it because I want, you know, it's not like a man up or man out type thing. It's, I only say it because it's the truth. And as I've said today at least once, and I'll say again now, I don't apologize for the truth. It is the truth. It doesn't even matter if it's fair. It doesn't even matter if it's right. Because who the hell's gonna who the hell is gonna care about your life if you don't? And I mean the good news is there's people that will, but they can only do so much. There's a point where you have to make things happen. And if you need help, get help. Seriously. I mean, I think there's like a, a fear in getting help, like admitting that you're weak is asking for help. I think we need to be a little bit more broad with our definition of help, and, and then maybe we wouldn't fear asking for it. Let's say that you were working on a, a diesel vehicle, uh, especially a military vehicle, old one, M900 Series 5-ton truck, and that you happen to live next door to me and you knew my background, and you couldn't figure something out on that truck. You wouldn't feel like you're weak for coming over and asking me for something I have that you don't, in that case, knowledge. And in, in many times in dealing with things like PTSD, that's actually what the person lacks, is the knowledge of how to deal with the situation. 
And you think, since I went through it, no one can understand it the way I can. Well, no one can understand the pain the way you can or the things you saw the way that you can because you saw them. But there are people who they've helped hundreds of people come out of this and put their lives back together. Hundreds. And you've helped none. That means they have more experience than you. That means they can help you. And they're not going to be able to just fix it. It's not like the 900 Series 5 ton where I can say, oh, well, you got to do is just take that off first and then hook this up and then that'll work. It's it, Fixing a person is not like fixing a car, but it still comes down to knowledge. And having people in your life being involved with other people, and I think there's a lot of people that this pertains to that were never in the military. And maybe they don't have PTSD, but they're not happy in their life. The, the way you develop joy in your life is by helping other experience, people experience joy in their life. And I don't know if it sounds like a motivational speaker thing or a TV pastor thing, but again, I don't apologize for the truth. Why do you think those of you that go out and shop for people around Christmas, even if you're not in the Christmas spirit or whatever, it's not a big deal for both, but when you start doing it, all of a sudden it starts feeling good because you know you're doing something for somebody else. And... It's, it is in some ways that simple. Now, again, when I say that, I don't mean quickly fixed, but the journey of beginning the repair can be that simple. And there's a lot of different ways. Like I said, I took a walk. I took a walk from Pennsylvania to New Hampshire because I needed to clear my head. For other people, that might be a terrible idea. I needed the isolation. Some people might need the, the, the camaraderie. Whatever it is you need in your life, find it. No one's going to do it for you. No one's going to back a dump truck up of whatever you need in your yard today and dump it in your yard. But whatever you need, it's out there. You're worth it. Go get it. My thoughts by Jack Spirico, I guess, huh? Hope you enjoyed that one. Anyway, if you do enjoy this show and you like the work that I do and you want to support it, you can do that by joining the Members Support Brigade. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on members to learn more. And when you do that, you'll see all of the great discounts that you get and you can see different ways that you can sign up. And those of you who have served our country in the military or the Peace Corps, uh, or law enforcement or as first responders like EMTs, paramedics and firefighters, all of you guys do get a discount on that product. Just email me with uh, TSPC service discount in the subject line before, not after you join, and I'll get back to you with the discount code so you can sign up and start taking part of all those benefits and support the show. The other way to support this show is to consider doing your um, Amazon shopping whenever you're going to do it through tspaz.com, tspaz.com, T-S-P-A-Z.com. You go there and you'll see a link. It says, click here to shop any and all items on Amazon. You click that link and you go to Amazon and you do your shopping and you don't spend any more money. It really doesn't take you any more time and you help support our show. It's, it's really easy. And if you like the work we do, that's something you can do. I also put out reviews every day. Today I put out a two-for review. It's two of the Oregon self-sharpening electric chainsaws, both the cordless and the corded model, and a video to go with them. When you watch this video, you may think the uh, the cordless one especially, boy, that takes a long time to get through that piece of wood. I say it in the video, okay? I did not try to make this thing look better than it is. I'm not trying to sell you a rifle, tell you it's military-grade and worth $400 when it's really worth 100 bucks, and then get 200 bucks for it. I'm trying to tell you the truth. We have live oak on our property. And when live oak cures, when it dries out, it is one of the hardest woods you will ever put anything to. And that's why I used a, a fairly thick piece of this stuff. I mean, I went out and drilled a hole in it yesterday with a drill bit, and it was smoking a drill bit. 
this stuff is tough. And it takes a while to get through, but that's kind of what I wanted to show you, that even on something that hard, these saws will do the job. Uh, and there's advantages to each. The cordless one's cordless. It's not as powerful as the plug-in one. But they're self-sharpening. You pull a little lever back and, and hammer the, the, the throttle, and, bzz, and they're sharp. And the chain tensioning mechanism is genius. Um, I think Oregon should be licensing that out to other chainsaw manufacturers, gas, electric, I don't care. Uh, it, is, it is beautiful. And I've got a review up for both of them today, and uh, I'm going to tell you, the, uh, the plug-in one is only $135. Bucks. You do have a cord hanging out the back, and it's not the best thing for felling trees and slashing, you know, taking all the slash off your trees and whatever. But for a small homestead, for $135, bucks, I don't see any reason not to have one. I really don't. You plug it in, it works. And if you have a Stephen Harris battery back in your tr bank in your truck, you take an extension cord and that, put it in your, your, your toolbox, I'm talking you've got some power anywhere you go to take care of situations. It's a great saw. Uh, if they ever get to where they can build a cordless one with the power of the plug-in one, man, it'll be the best of both worlds. But there is a limitation there uh, at this point. You can check them both out at tspaz.com. You can see the current reviewed items. Or get on over to T, uh, the get on over to Amazon and do your regular shopping. Christmas is coming. There's gonna be a lot of gift shopping. If you'll remember me when you do your gift shopping, that'll be a gift to the TSP uh, TSP uh, you know, world. Uh, you guys uh, shopping through my Amazon link this Christmas can really do a lot to help fund the work that we do here at the Survival Podcast. And again, it doesn't cost you a thing. That brings us to our uh, final song of the day, and I kind of wanted to wrap it in with uh, the last segment that we had. Um, I played a Travis Tritt song for you guys on Friday, and uh, thought, yeah, I forgot about my old buddy Travis, man. I hadn't listened to him much at all. So I started digging through his other songs and seeing what else I could come with that I might put up on the air. And this song's called I'm Gonna Be Somebody. And uh, this has always been one of my great, you know, favorite songs by Travis Tritt, and one of my Favorite country songs. You know, one of these days I'm going to break these chains. And it, it's about a young guy that wants to make it in music, you know, that would, that would sneak out just to listen to people play. And uh, was told by everybody around him, you know, there's no future in the road you're taking. You're not taking care. Go and get a real job. Support your family. But he just kept doing it. He just kept doing it. He eventually became successful. And, he, you know, he looks down off the stage one night playing and sees – the hungry eyes in a young person that wants to have that success. And that's a common story in the music industry. And, you know, it's a pretty small world. The, the truly successful people, you know, at that level that, that, you know, have number one records and stuff like that. And there's a lot of other people that can make some money in music, but it's, it's, it's pretty narrow, a pretty narrow needle to thread to become very successful as a musician, but it, it can be done. But the reality is there's a lot of other things in the world that it's a much wider path, but it takes the same determination. And like I said, no one's going to back a dump up dump truck up today to your yard and dump the shit you're looking for in your yard for you. But it's out there and you can go get it. So go get it. You know, take the spirit of the song with you today. I'm going to be somebody. Well, you are somebody already. But what they mean here is I'm going to I'm going to find, chase and achieve a dream of mine. This is the offensive preparedness that we talk about today. It's fine to store stuff up in your house. We do it, I promise you. 
there's more shit stored up here than we probably know what to do with. But in the end, I'm more concerned about living my life on an offensive strategy so that we don't need that stuff, so that we can provide it to others possibly at some point when they need it and we don't because we've been practicing smart preparedness on both the offense and defensive stages in our life. With that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Bobby played his guitar on the harder side of town Where it's hard for a poor boy to find the money He had dedication He had the heart and soul Somehow knew he was born to play People said get a real job Support your family Cause there's no future in the road you're taking He never said a word The dreamer just kept on That night you could hear him sing Bye.